We're just going to pray for John as he comes and brings the word. Lord, we thank you for your blessings to us already today, Lord. And Lord, with you, Lord, we know that there's no end, Lord, and blessings continue to abound. And as John speaks, may you continue to speak to our hearts and may you speak to him as he ministers to us and bless him as well. Amen. Thank you, Daniel. Amen. Morning, everyone. Lovely to see you. Oh, I wonder if you, if you have a, a Bible. So I haven't got um, Dan on the uh, Bible verses this morning. So if you have a Bible on your phone or, on, or a book with you, um, if you want to go to Isaiah chapter 6, going to be um, looking this morning at holiness. And um, it's just something really that I've been, I've mentioned recently, I, I guess, as I've been speaking about, I don't know, I don't know how to say this. I, th- I think if there's anyone in the church that needs to take responsibility for seeking God for what is needed in the church, it should be the pastor, I guess. But that's not limited to the pastor, that's everyone can take that responsibility. But if there's anything really that I feel that the Lord just um, sows in my heart is, is just what is the need? Like when you're thinking to speak, you're really asking God, what is the need that, that you speak? I think Nikki actually said to me um, last week, or whenever it was, said, you know, you can teach, and then there's teaching, and then there's ministry. And the difference is, is that you can teach, and you can talk about stuff, and people go away informed, but when you minister, when the Holy Spirit really ministers, people go away transformed, and the church changes, and that's what we want, isn't it? And I really feel that what um, uh, I want to share this morning is something that I'm, I'm believing that God is wanting to do afresh in the church. Not that he hasn't ever done it, not that he's not doing it, but almost like um, God needs to come and do something new in our hearts as a, as a people that changes the culture of our church even, or it, it develops the culture, you know, it, I, I'm always conscious that whenever you talk about God needs to do this, it doesn't mean he's never done it and he isn't doing it, but we know he needs to do it. That makes sense, right? Um, and uh, and, and I, I guess you could t- entitle this as a vision of his holiness. Um, because, and Isaiah in this passage, he had a vision of God's holiness. I'm just going to read the passage, and it's the first uh, seven verses um, of Isaiah. So let's, let's look at it. If you, if you can follow it, be great. So in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, angels. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, and he had taken with tongs from the altar, um, sorry, that he had taken from, with tongs from the altar, he touched my mouth and said, Behold, 
This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Amen. Um, many of us would have heard sermons on this. It's a, one of those scriptures that um, is quite incredible. It's powerful. It's, you know, if you know who Isaiah is, who was a great prophet in those days, and here he comes and he sees this vision, and yet he's undone. He's torn apart. That's basically what this, um, this kind of woe is me. It's this, I'm, I'm completely undone in his presence. And so as much as he's able, this, this great man of God, as we would say, yet he has this vision of the holiness of God. And, um, and some maybe might think holy means various different things, and some might think it means someone is very pious or, sim- you know, it might mean perfect, you know, or... You know, I'm sure some of you think, you know, John is so holy, and you think he's so good, he's so, you know, he's so humble. You know, as Donald Trump once said, I'm the most humble person I know. Um, you know, there's this, we think of like the character of people. We think that they seem to know a lot about the Bible, and they never do, a, they never step within 20 meters of a pub or something like this. Um, you know, it's, there's, that's sometimes maybe we grow up with that understanding of holy. But holiness simply means set apart. And the, the nation of Israel was, was a, a holy nation. If Exodus 19, 6, you don't have to look at these. 1 Peter 2, 9 refers to Israel as a holy nation. They are a, a, they are a nation set apart for God. And whether they are in, as a nation following after God is, is beside the point. In God's heart, they are a nation set apart for him. In the, in the Old Testament, um, we, we, Leviticus 11.44, just to give you some of these verses, be holy as I am holy, was the word to, the, to Israel. It's a word to us in 1 Peter. But they were a nation set apart. And so when you read the Old Testament and you read things where it says, don't eat shellfish, don't eat pork, don't have sideburns, or don't cut your sideburns, sorry, don't have tattoos, all these kinds, they were all there to set them apart. And you have to understand them in that context. So why do we eat pork and why do we cut our sideburns? Because that's not how holiness looks now. That wasn't the call to, to us, but it was for them. They were a set-apart people. They, they shouldn't do the things that the other nations did. They were set-apart for God, and that's really what holiness means. And, and when we look from the old, which was this external change, if you like, when the new, it becomes an internal change. We are still, we are called to be holy. We are a holy people set-apart. But what does it mean when it comes to God? Because... Isaiah comes, he sees this vision, he sees the throne room, he sees these angels that have six wings, and he says two cover their face, two cover their feet, and two use, um, used to fly. It says that they were standing in his presence, and, um, and I guess the general idea is that they cover their face because who can look upon God and live? That's what God said to Moses. And Moses says, show me your face, says none can look upon me and live. He is a consuming fire. And the, when we talk about the glory of God, in, in, and that works out in different contexts, but in this context, you can understand it in the sense of this radiance of light and um, I don't know how to 
define glory because you can't use the word glory, can you? But it's a hard one, isn't it? It's this radiance of himself, of his holiness, which if, if you are not holy in his presence, you will be consumed. And so God gave them um, wings to cover their eyes, wings to cover their feet in many cultures. Feet, showing your feet is an offense. I remember, I think it was Malaysia, um, I think it was, I don't know if it's the same now, but many years ago my dad travelled there and one of the things I remember him saying is that you couldn't sit on the floor cross-legged because your feet, the soles of your feet would be shown. You know, I don't know whether that was the reason they were covering their feet, um, but you, if they had these wings, maybe it just covered their whole body. That's the point. And he had, they had spare wings that they could fly. <laughs> um, but the point here is that in the presence of God, these angels are ministering. And what do they say? What does it say? Um, gracious, gracious, gracious is the Lord of hosts. Or oh, love, love, love is the Lord of hosts. What do they say? What is, if in the presence of God, right in his throne, and you've got something to say that describes what you see, what are you going to say? What do they say? Holy, holy. Is God gracious? Amen. When Moses, and I, I, you forgive me, I can't remember where it is, but it's uh, when he was up the mountain, he was talking to God, and he said, God, show me your face. And he said, I can't show you my face, I paraphrase, because no one can see the face of God and live. He said, but what I will do is, I will put you, I'd hide you in the cleft of the rock, and I will put my hand upon you, and I will walk past you, and you will see my back. And, he's, and, he, and he revealed this. And as he walked past, he said, Merciful, gracious is the Lord God. And I just think that's, you know, it's just going to say, God is merciful, he is gracious, he is loving, he is long-suffering, because he is holy. And, I, and, and this is what I already want to make a point about this morning is that God is first holy. He is gracious, he is merciful, he is loving and kind, he is long-suffering, full of goodness, but before that or more than that, he is holy. And so they're singing holy, holy, holy. And that means in, in, in uh, the biblical understanding when there's a triple repetition, in English we say big, bigger and biggest don't we? Like that kind of thing. We have these different words. Well, in, in this context, it's big, big is, and it's big, big, big. It's like the, it is the consummation, the complete, the ultimate emphasis of that. He is holy, holy, holy. And so, and, we, and if you look in Revelation, we, we see this mentioned again, the holiness of God. And when, we, when you read, and I did a quick kind of survey and said, how often do we read in Revelation, the declaration of God's love, and how often do we see the declaration of his holiness? And at times, he talks about his love, how he loves us, how in the letters generally when he's speaking to the church, he challenges on our love for him, but it's holy, holy, holy. It is the awe, it's the awesome nature of God. You know, have you ever, and this is something I learned this week, you know sometimes where you, oh, this was, um, I was listening to some teaching on this just to help me to study. 
And in the Lord's Prayer, can anyone say, the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And this, this teacher, he, he pointed out, he said, he said, hallowed, so that's holy be your name. Not holy is your name. And I thought, oh, wow. You know, sometimes it's in the little words <laughs> that just suddenly change. It's like, holy, he said, he said, be holy in my mind. Be holy in my understanding. Be holy in my outlook. And today, God is not being holy in our mind. He's being loving. He's being gracious. And we, can, we have this danger of interpreting God and what God is like to people on, based on his love, not on his holiness. And I don't know if that makes sense to you. In other words, let me give you a scenario. There is a great, I understand the heart of this, and this is the great challenge for the church, of accepting people into the church on the basis of love, not on the basis of God's holiness. And, what, and um, I'm, I don't want to confuse you, I want because I've had a lot of time to think about this and I'm throwing this on you. I want everyone to know Jesus. And what we can do is we can lower the bar of God's righteousness to such a point that we don't have to surrender our ideas, our identity, our lifestyle, because we, just, we can bring it with us into the kingdom. But God is holy, and he says, no, you have to die before you come into the kingdom, spiritually speaking. And the church, out of love and out of great motivation, he's saying, it's okay because of God's love and his grace, you don't need to change that. And when we get to stand before the Lord like Isaiah did, who was a man of God who taught and he preached and he saw God, what does he say? Woe is me. We don't use that word anymore. As I said, I am undone. And I want to get onto this, but just before you think I'm saying that God isn't love, because of his holiness, we understand his love. It's in the light of his holiness this holy God, so set apart, so different, there is no one like him at all. There is no being on earth, no human, no spirit, no anything that can ever come close to God or who God is. And that's based on what we know of God. And there are attributes of God that we don't know. If there's, I can't remember the theological term, but God has only revealed certain aspects of who he is to us. He hasn't revealed everything. Because how can God, a God, reveal everything about himself to such puny minds like mine? Even if he could somehow put it in a book. Can God be contained in a book? Now, I'm not saying that, I'm saying that God has revealed all that God deems to reveal about himself. And that's enough for us until we get to eternity. And then we have eternity to try to work out all the rest of it. Um, but this holiness, where was I? In our minds, is God holy? Do you think of God holy? Do you think of him so beyond us? So different to us? Because I think some people, and of course nobody here, of course, 
take the holy, separate, completely different person of God and they form him into a human mind. And they say, well, as human beings, we like this, so God would be like that. As human beings, this is how we care or how we are accepting and how we, you know, include, how we are inclusive. We think like a human and we put that on God and God doesn't think like a human. He thinks like God, a holy God. I hope you're, you're understanding this difference. Um, but if we reduce the set-apart nature of God and we create a God in like of the creation. And that's Romans, isn't it? Romans chapter two. It's this swapping of we worship the creator but then we create our own God. So here we find this holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, just continuously we're in his presence. And can you imagine if all our meeting was, was maybe this side singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And I don't know how it works in this thing, but this side we're going, what is it? Um, uh, the whole earth is full of his glory. And then he said, yeah, holy, holy. And then this side, when the earth is full of his glory. And that was our worship meeting. <laughs> it's a bit like, it's, that's how I imagined it. And they were content with that. Just to sing how holy, holy, holy God was. So Isaiah sees <clears throat> this holy God. He sees the angels. And as they're singing, the whole place is shaking. There's smoke, which reveals some kind of fire. Um, is that a biblical basis for smoke machines in church? <laughs> I think I've just discovered it. Um, there's fire. He is a consuming fire. And, um, and he cries out and he says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. In other words, the holiness of God reveals our sinfulness. And I, I once, I've said this story before, I used to do door-to-door on what was the Ferry Estate, which is now Kibrook Estate, or Kibrook Village, whatever they call it now, it's posh. And I remember talking to this guy, and he said, he said you know, I'm all right. I reckon that when I, when I stand before God, I'll be, I'll be able to persuade him. And I was thinking, when you even come into a glimpse of God, woe is me, I'm a man undone. And I've said this other story as well before, which is one of the great, um, I say hero of mine, I've read his diary and his inspiring, really helped me, David Brainard. He wrote, you can read his diary, or you can get the audio book. It's about nine hours long to listen to. So, but in it, it's just wonderful, because he's just this, he was a missionary in America, to the, to the natives at the time, um, and God moved powerfully through him. And if you know Jonathan Edwards, um, not the run and jump person, but the, the missionary out there, um, he was potentially going to be his son-in-law until he died quite young um, of tuberculosis. But in it, he tells a story where he would preach the gospel to some of these native um, Indians, we would have called them at the time, I know you don't call them that anymore, I can't remember what it is now, the terminology. Um, hmm? No, it'd be uh, Native Americans. Um, and this, and, but the interesting story about this man was that he came into a revelation, my words, of the holiness of God. 
before he came into a revelation of the grace of God. And what this meant was is that he came in and he suddenly saw how sinful he was. And he came to David Brainard and he said to him, he said to him, I know that I deserve hell. That was his, that was his revelation. I know that I deserve hell. And David Brainard was, was praying for him, saying, Lord, give him a vision of your grace. And a few weeks later, he came and he said to, he said to David Brainard, I've seen the grace of God. <laughs> but this man, he knew every person who stands before the Lord will, never, will not complain when God says that you deserve hell. We will know it. That's my, I mean, we know when we get there and hopefully we won't know that end of that question because we'll be with glory. But the sinful man deserves hell. The sinful woman deserves hell. That's because God is so holy. And if we don't really believe that, it's because the holiness of God has become more and more deteriorated in our mind. But when we truly believe that God is perfect and holy, then we will recognize that. And so we see this holiness of God. We have an awareness of our depravity. We have an awareness of our sin. And as he says here, I'm, you know, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And the lips are representative here um, of, it's not just about what we say, but you know where the Bible says out of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's very representative. You could say physically. I read one commentator say the lips, the skin and lips are the most sensitive part of our being. I don't know whether that helps people, but it's this sense of absolute lostness and then we see this wonderful thing happen. It says, one of the angels, a seraphim, flew. In his hand was a burning coal taken from the um, tongs of the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. You know, the Bible says that we will all stand before God and give an account of our lips. And, and the uh, potential of as we speak Guilt. We will know our guilt. But in here it says your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. When did Jesus die on the cross? Good 750 years or more. I don't know how long after Isaiah wrote this down. But in the heavenlies, even before the foundation of the earth, Christ died on the cross. Our sin was atoned for. So when we see the holiness of God, we also see the atonement of our sin or the forgiveness of our sin. We see the love of God. That's why I'm saying that the love of God is, is best seen through the lens of holiness. And it's the holiness of God is the absolute measuring stick of perfection. So if you want to know how good you are, then the more you focus and pursue a vision of his holiness, that's the best way to know how good we are. And we may as well not bother to really, we just come to the conclusion that we're never going to be good enough to stand by God. We know that. But what's helped about pursuing his holiness is that we have a greater sense of his love I think it was said by Jesus, he uh, or uh, they who have been forgiven much, love much. Those who are more aware of their sinfulness are more aware of how much God loves them. 
without a vision of holiness, we will always justify ourselves and our decisions to sin before God. But when we have a vision of his holiness, we know God. Conviction. It's a word I want to reintroduce into our mentality. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is a gift of God. I remember many times, and I must say, not for a long time, where I've been in meetings or even been on my own, and I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And there's a difference between conviction and guilt. Guilt is this weight of heaviness that I am lost and I cannot escape. They're talking about guilt in the kids this morning, and there's a little activity. They're going to tape someone up in brown tape with a cloth in between, so don't ruin the clothes. And they're going to say, get out. And of course, they're going to be like this. Guilt means I can't get out. I can't get myself out of guilt. I need someone from the outside to come and set me free. Conviction is different. and It's a, it's a revelation that God intends you to change. And he's right there saying, will you change? I'm right here. I want to change you. And we know we need to change. That's the conviction. That's the difference. Guilt is a weight that drags us down until we recognize we need help. Whereas conviction is right there, God is moving by his spirit. It's a gift of God's grace. So is not God love, I hear you say. <laughs> God is love, amen. But boy, when you see it through the lens of holiness, it's far superior to the love that we call love in this world. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that meant that Jesus came, as we read in Philippians, where he laid aside his majesty, as we sing, where he, where he laid aside his divine rights, took upon the form of a servant, and he went to the cross and he died. That's love. That's the holy God set apart, coming and being this servant. Incredible. The holy God. And what about, uh, if, you, if you want to turn to 1 Thessalonians... <clears throat> Chapter 3, verse 11 to 13. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another, and for all, so we should love, and the, when the Bible talks about how we should love, it is a, a repurposing of God's love in us. We, you know, our own love apart from God will never be able to, to love as, as the Bible teaches us to love, but as we love with God's love and love one another, um, and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God the Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Do you want to be holy? Love. See, the goal of love, if I was to generalize this, I know there's detail to this, the goal of love is holiness. Holiness is from the beginning, our Father who art in heaven, holy be your name, be holy. And then we pray, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, you know, and forgive us our trespasses. First, first be holy, Lord, be holy. In my mind, be holy. 
Let me treat you. Let me live as though I walk with a holy God. Let me love as though I love with a holy God. Let me receive your love because I understand your holiness and how great your love is. And then we see this. Lord, that as I love, you will establish my heart blameless in holiness before our God. And so we, 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 we love. We love not in a judgmental, and this is the challenge of the church, as I said. We want to include people into something where in which they understand and know the holiness and the love of God. We can't include people and be inclusive into the kingdom. That's God's work. But we still love one another and we still love all. Peter says, in, um, in, you can read this in 1 Peter um, chapter 1, I think, or 2. He says, we are a kingdom of priests. And I'll try and be, I'll try and be quick to close soon. But they would go through this process called consecration. And... Um, and what would happen is, I didn't write the references, I think it's Exodus 29 um, where you can read about this. And the word consecrate in Hebrew actually means to fill or fill the hand. It was, it was almost like God's intention was that the priests would fill themselves with the work God had set apart for them. Fill the hand. The hand is a great meaning for, for the, the work aspect of our life. It's our, you know... Um, so, but they would go through this, this process of consecration to be set apart for God, devoted to God. Um, and so the first thing they do is they go through a process of washing. They would wash themselves, a bit like what we might call baptism. You know, a washing of water. And, and when Peter preached his message um, and, the, and the people have in, heard it, they believed in that. said, so what should we do? He said, Repent, and you can't repent unless you know you're a sinner, and you know you're a sinner because you know that God is holy. Repent, he says, and be baptized for the forgiveness of sin. Be washed, he says, and you shall receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit. The second part of a priest's um, consecration was so washing of water, a cleansing of the past, a cleansing of the filth. They were anointed with oil, poured oil, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit poured oil on top of them. And then they would take blood from a sacrifice and they would put it on the big thumb, on the, on the ear, the big thumb, and the big toe. And they, they would represent different things. Ear, it is thought, the hearing of the will of God and his word. It rep- the thumb was the activity of the Lord's work. And the toe, the movement of his people wherever he sends them. So these, and there's signs there as well that blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, he had blood on his ear, he had blood on his feet. And if you take the hands and the side, you know, at the same time, he had blood on his hands and he had blood coming out of his side, you know, this kind of picture. And this is the question, I guess. Uh, well, it's not so much a question, it's a declaration. You and I, we're priests. If you've given your heart to the Lord, as we say, or if the Lord has saved you, depending on how you look at it, you are called to be a priest. And if you've come in, um, David Pawson wrote a book called Four Spiritual Doors. Um, and, uh, and they were faith, baptism of water, 
sorry, faith, repentance, baptism, water, baptism, the Holy Spirit, what I've mentioned. And the process of a person coming into the kingdom goes through those four doors. If you've gone through those four doors, you've gone through the consecration process when you look at it. So if I was to say, are you willing to be consecrated, set apart for God, your automatic answer should be yes. (laughs) The question is, really, when we ask that question is, is your heart in it? If I was to say to you, you know, we need a vision of the holy. We need, as people of God, to be open and willing and surrender to God as his priests. The real question is, Are you in it? Do you want it? Are you willing? There was a verse that's just come to mind. I can't remember where it is, and I apologize. But it says this. um, It always struck out to me, and it's possibly out of context. So check it out and take it or leave it. It says, my people will be willing in the day of his power. And I guess that kind of sums it up. Are you going to be found willing in the day of his power? And I don't know what that day is, but the Lord wants willing hearts set apart for him. But I want to, the the real response I'd love to make, so you could respond and, um, I don't know if you want to come up, Hannah and Drew, um, you know, is to understand that first, when we're talking about consecration, we need to be filled with God, filled with his love and acceptance, filled with the joy of knowing him, uh, you know, but and filled with the purposes of God for us, Ephesians 2 verse 10, you can look at that. But really, it's like, Lord, will you help me to have a vision of your holiness? And if we're serious about that question, we have to be aware that when God reveals his holiness, there may be the cry that says, woe is me. Woe is me. And it will bring utter change. It may even mean that you have to change what you do because holiness is not a theory. There's a practical life. It's holy living. But unless we get a vision of the holy God, then how can we really set our part? So I I want to invite you, if you want to pursue this God and say, Lord, I want to, in my day-to-day, I want to be aware this may work out. In my prayers, I want to seek you. I want to have a vision of your holiness. I want you to point out in my life those things that are contrary to your holy nature. I want to be open in my heart for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I want to be willing to change or be changed by you, which is probably more appropriate word. If you're willing to do that, as I'm responding, and I'm responding to this as well, well, I want you to stand up now and just, even if you want to take some time to think about it, but if you want to stand up, you want to give yourselves to God and say, I want to have a vision of his holiness. And I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And just in that time, just do that deal with God. Um, Father, we come with an absolute fundamental need of your Holy Spirit to open up our eyes to see the holy God in whom we serve. Lord, you are alive, you're living, 
Lord, there is none that can stand beside you. There is none, Lord, that can ever come close to you. You are completely um, holy, set apart, but not at a distance where we cannot find you. You are here close, Lord. You are different. We will never fully grasp you, Lord, but what we do know is that you are wonderfully perfect. Lord, you are holy. You are wonderful. You are awesome. Lord, you are powerful, majestic. Lord, your train fills the temple. Lord, and I want to pray for us, Lord. Pray for us as individuals, but as a church, that this will be a place where your spirit moves and people have a vision of the holy God. Lord, that we may see you as you are, that we would be, Lord, willing to wherever we need to get on our knees in repentance, wherever we need to confess our sin one to another, as your word says, that we may be forgiven, that we may be free and live in the freedom of sin, uh, from sin, Lord, that we would have a distaste of sin, Lord. Your word says that uh, why should we uh, sin that grace may abound, Lord? Your grace abounds incredibly. Your grace and your love is incredible, Lord, especially when we understand your holiness. But Lord, we can have this temptation that you will overlook our sin. But Lord, give us that passion that says, why should I sin, Lord, because I am dead to sin, as Paul says. Lord, may we be done with the sinful lives, Lord. May we grasp that, what it means to live a holy life, Lord, that we may be those who love one another and love our community, but we don't, um, we don't start becoming like our community in our love, Lord. Help us in our relationships, Lord, that we may stand out from the crowd, not because of our um, bad attitudes or our pointing of fingers, Lord, but that there is something different and attractive Lord, to the hearts that are lost and seeking a saviour but don't know what to look for, Lord, may they see in us a holy people set apart for you, Lord, that we may just be those who reflect you, Lord. When Moses came down from that mountain, when he saw just the back parts of God, his face shone. And the people of God, the Israelites, asked him to put a veil over his face. Lord, will you unveil us, Lord, that we may shine the glory of God wherever we go. Lord, help us to know, Lord, that we don't become legalistic, Lord, in making rules for ourselves, Lord, but that we become sensitive to your Holy Spirit and willing, Lord, that you may change us and move us and cause us to be different. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to do these things. Lord, we ask that you won't make these things just talk, but these, these be um, the power of God in our lives. And so as we stand here, we respond to him as we worship. I pray, Lord um, God, Holy Spirit, come and minister to us. Lord, make these things real in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.